out of all the power and presence in those songs, I have to confess I got hung up on one verse from one song near the beginning. Many will be missing in that meeting. For the mourner's bench has no place at all. Now here's why I'm hung up. We don't have a mourner's bench anymore. My God in heaven. We have watered things down. I know what Romans says. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, the same shall be saved. That is absolutely true. But you cannot discount, James, that faith without works is dead. That you must repent. Not come up and say a little two-second repeat-after-me prayer from some preacher because Grandma prodded you alone. That's coming to an altar that may or may not be true and fulfilling in your life. But there was a time when we did have a mourner's bench. What do I mean by that? I mean you come up here and these altars were not nice and clean. What they were were tear-stained. What they were was someone came and knelt down and didn't just repeat a prayer after a preacher, but they come up and they knelt down and they were sorry for what they had done. The Holy Ghost had got a hold of them and they knew they had been grieving God, the Father, Jesus Christ, the Son. They had been trampling His blood underfoot and they knew that they had been grieving the Spirit and they came and they mourned because of what they'd done yesterday. They didn't come because they wanted the promise of tomorrow. They come because they were sorry about what they'd done yesterday. And because we don't have a mourner's bench anymore, I fear that many will be missing in that day. We don't teach. We don't disciple. We don't bring people the way they're supposed to be brought. We've watered it down from the elders to the kids. My God, we bring our kids in and we try to keep them entertained. We try to keep them happy. I don't want them entertained and I don't want them happy. I want them sorry for what they done yesterday. If you're old enough to know better, if you're 10, 11, 12 years old, and you think you can come in and you can play and you can have disregard for the Word of God, you will answer. If you're 40 and you have a child and you think you can let them make their own decisions, you will answer. If you're 80 and you think you've done all you need to do and you no longer need to have works with your faith, you will answer. Don't think I'm picking on one above the other. I'm telling you we need to get back to a mourner's bench because it is where you repent. It is where you shed tears. It is where it puts you into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. It is where you get tired of seeing people dying and going to hell because we've been playing church for far too long. It's where you come and you kneel down and you get a good dose of the Holy Ghost that will propel you into something other than what you are. Yet here we are, and many will be missing in that day. 
Because I fear the mourner's bench has no place here. Preaching like this ain't popular. Preaching like this don't pull people in. I'm less concerned about that than making sure those under my voice don't die and go to hell. My Lord. We need a mourner's bench. Yeah, we do need some of that old-time Christianity. I don't agree with everything in it. None of us do. But they were sincere in what they done and they stood for what they believed. I don't agree with everyone in here and everyone in here don't agree with me. But if we know what we believe and we stand upon the Word of God and we disciple and we teach and we bring people in and let them know that it's okay to mourn at a mourner's bench. It's okay to shed tears that just coming in and repeating a prayer because Grandma wanted you to ain't going to get it done. It ain't going to get you into heaven. We'll get along just fine. We'll do some good work for the Lord. Now let me get into what I've got. I've got to get this series done this morning. You know, I've been doing a series on expectations. This morning will be the last one on that. And a lot of what I just said really goes along with that. This morning is expecting a laborer. You know, we've all got expectations. And I'll read scripture here in a minute. We'll stand for the reading of the word in a minute. We've all got expectations. We've got expectations of God. We've got expectations of our church. We've got expectations of each other. But God also has expectations of you. There's no way around it. You can't do any old thing that you want to do and make it into heaven. You can't do any old thing you want to do and be considered part of the church. There are some things I have to turn you out for. Thankfully, I've not really had to do that. Not that I can divulge publicly anyway. There are expectations. And one of them that I believe if we would really grab a hold of and come to understand the power that rests in us, we wouldn't have to worry about numbers. We wouldn't have to worry about people being saved. We wouldn't have to worry about anything because we would understand that we are a laborer. You see, God expects you to be a laborer. If you're in here this morning and you believe Jesus Christ is Lord and you have submitted your life to Him, He expects you to be a laborer. Now, I'm going to challenge what you think about a laborer and what a laborer is here in just a moment. I'm going to read the start with the same verse I ended with last Sunday night. And I'm just going to go right on down. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. So as you'll find that, if you would stand or if you want to read off of the screen, either way. If you'll remember when I preached expecting a miracle Sunday night, the last verse that I read was Matthew 9 and 35, that Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now the word does not stop there, it continues on, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. 
Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore. We'll come up and we'll pray. God send us people into our church. We need the harvest. No, we don't. Quit praying it. That's not what Jesus said to pray. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, the harvest is God's, that he will send forth laborers. We need to be praying for laborers. I don't need bench warmers. I don't need people sitting in a pew. I need laborers into his harvest. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word, for the challenge of your word, the direction of your word. And Lord, I pray simply that you would let us understand. God, let your spirit teach us as your word has said that he is sent for to recall to our remembrance and Lord, to put a fire in us for you. Lord, help us to be as we should be and live as we should live and pursue after you with passion and truth. God, be in our midst this morning and let what we do glorify and honor you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We've done expecting heaven, that your expectations, if you expect to get to heaven, you have to meet your expectations also. In other words, you can't just do whatever you want to do and expect to walk on those streets of gold and walk through those gates of pearl. Yes, you may get a glimpse. I had Stanley do a song that morning. I call it home. Some call it heaven. I call it home for a very specific reason because it has that line in there, when heaven comes into view. Well, I believe that all of us, to a person, their heaven will come into view for us because we will have to go stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And when we go, heaven's going to come into view, and we're going to know that something better is ahead. But now whether we get to go in and see the full beauty or whether we are sent away is entirely up to us. We expect heaven, but are we meeting the expectations of our judge expecting the holy spirit i told you that each of us should expect the fullness and the baptism of the holy ghost i think it's somewhere under 50 percent now of uh, pentecostal denominations that have experienced the baptism of the holy ghost so i'm not even sure that we can rightly call ourselves pentecostal anymore but i believe we should i believe we should seek after it we should expect the power and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Service after service after service. Then I went to Isaiah 55 and we talked about expecting God's blessings. If you are following after the Lord, then I believe you should fully be able to expect that He will honor His Word and He will pour blessing upon blessing upon your life. I believe that also if we go expecting a miracle, that was last Sunday night, and we get to the feet of Jesus because we expect Him to be able to move upon us, that He will move, that He will honor His Word, that He will honor His power and His authority. And if we expect it when we go to Him because we know that He is the answer, then He will answer. He will move on our behalf. 
But you see, none of these things really matter if we don't have laborers. Because without laborers, heaven is just somewhere afar off that is an abstract concept that we don't understand or know about because someone hasn't guided us into what we need to know. The Holy Spirit, we would end up like those over in Acts 19 when Paul went to Ephesus and he asked them, if you have been baptized in the Holy Ghost, they said, we don't even know that there is a Holy Ghost unless there be laborers. We don't know what the blessings of God are and we don't see tangible, real evidence of them unless there are laborers carrying it forth. We can expect a miracle all day long, but unless there has been a laborer ahead of time that has demonstrated that God still heals, it's not tangible or real to us. And we can't really grasp it. So the expectation for today is to a person. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. If you proclaim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and you have submitted your life to Him and you are living as you should, the expectation is that you are a laborer for the Lord. He looked at His disciples and He says, We need laborers. But I'm going to go back and talk a couple of points in this text because it's things that just really struck me as I was studying this passage out of how much it is the same today as it was some 2,000 years ago. Particularly in verse 36. It says, but when he saw the multitudes that he was moved with compassion, But it doesn't just say that he was moved with compassion for them for no reason. It gives a reason. It says because they fainted. And that word that is used there really struck me because the the very raw and real sense of that word is flayed or skinned. Like you would flay open a piece of meat or like you would skin out a piece of meat. And if you put it over into the, the passive voice... What it means is that they are exhausted as a result of harassment. They have been constantly bombarded and harassed by every possible means and they have given out. They are exhausted and they are in a troubled state. So when Jesus comes out and he looks at the multitudes and he's moved with compassion, it's because they are in an exhausted state because of the harassment that they have suffered day after day after day. But it's not just because they're exhausted. It's not just because they've been harassed. But it's also, as it says here, because they were scattered abroad. This word is literally the same word that we're going to look at in in Matthew 10.1 when it talks about casting out demons. The word, if you want to know, is ekbalo. What it means is to cast out. So what it's saying is these people that are exhausted from constant harassment have been cast out. The world has cast them out. They are cast down. They're tired. They don't know 
what to do anymore. They're laying down out in the middle of nowhere because they have no idea and no sense of what to do to fix their life. I've seen one thing that said that they had no idea or sense of what to do to fill their needs. You know if you have lived in sin any amount of time, and I thank God for different testimonies. Let me just say, I've known some people that got saved when they were eight and nine years old, and they've been in church every opportunity, and I've never known them to do anything but good. I thank God for testimonies like that, that God can keep you from something. My testimony is a little bit different. He brought me out of a thing or two, and both testimonies are equally good. But if you have a testimony, something like mine, then perhaps maybe you'll have a little better understanding of what it means to have your needs filled because you will go out and you will try absolutely everything to fill that emptiness that is in you. You think that a fifth of liquor on a Friday night will help you feel better on Saturday morning. But the problem is, a Saturday morning you get up and that emptiness is still there. And now on top of that, you've got a hangover and you feel physically terrible. You think that, on the other end, you think that coming to church with Grandma, even though you have no intention of getting saved, and even though the only reason you go to the altar is because Grandma told you that God can fix it, but you have nothing in you that's even prompting you that you want to take your life to that point. But yet you go, and you think that might fill your need temporarily, but then you get up Monday morning and nothing has changed. So you go through that week and you do everything you can in worldly pursuit to make yourself feel better. That's what these people were that Jesus walked out and he seen. He seen a group of people that had been harassed by the world. They had taken everything the world had to offer, trying to fill their needs, trying to fill something inside them, trying to get to a place where they could have something positive in their life. And what the world done was give them all that it had, and they found that it didn't fill their needs, and the world cast them out, and they were laid down. They were in great danger, and they had no way to escape it. All of that in that one little verse. But the problem was they were a sheep with no shepherd. And Jesus looks out and he sees this. Much like I was talking about the mourner's bench at first, we've replaced it with an altar, and in some cases we've replaced it with staying in your seat and raising your hand. Much the same Jesus was pointing at the religious leaders of the day. He was looking and he is saying that everything that we've done to this point has failed these people because if we hadn't failed them, they would be following me. But instead we have failed them, we have pushed them into places they don't need to be and what they are is they're out in the world and they're scattered and they don't know how to fix their problems. You go out into the world today and you grab any average person off of the street and they're an expert in everything and they don't know anything at all. 
But they're an expert because they have the internet. They're an expert because they have Facebook. They're following some Yahoo preacher on Facebook that hadn't even read the Bible all the way through. They're following some theologian that's trying to tell them some nonsense ignorance. They're listening to someone tell them that you can command and manipulate God to follow your will. So they're an expert. In other words, they're lost sheep and they don't have an idea of how to fill their needs. Same as then. So what did Jesus do? He looked at His disciples and He's looking out at the people and He says the harvest is plentiful. There's a whole lot of people that need to be harvested into the church. But we don't have enough workers. What is a worker? What is a laborer? See, we think of it as someone that teaches Sunday school. And to a degree, that's what it is. We think of it as Stanley up here leading us in praise and worship and into the presence of the Lord. We think of it as James keeping excellent records of our finances and making sure the church is running as it should. We think of it as Brian teaching Sunday school up here and filling the pulpit on Wednesday nights. We think of that as a laborer. No, that's just doing what you should for the Lord. That's nothing more, nothing less. That is not a labor that Jesus Christ is saying that the world needs. Because if you're sitting back there teaching Sunday school every Sunday, those that are lost without a shepherd that don't know how to fill their needs will never, ever hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it's just getting up to sing a song, all you're doing is what God has anointed you to do. It has nothing to do with your works because the sinful are not going to hear it. And furthermore, when they hear it, they don't understand it. I love that song, Meeting in the Air. That might be my second favorite song in the Redback. But the truth of the matter is, is that someone that is in this church that was not raised up church of God, number one, and is under 50 more than likely, have no idea what a mourner's bench is. They hear that song and it's just words on a piece of paper and they don't understand. Now I'll be glad to explain it because I still believe in it. I can read the Word and say nothing to add, to expound upon it, to exegete, to do any of those things. I can just read the Word and they'll look at me like a deer caught in the headlights. Why? Because they don't understand about a laborer. They don't understand about being cast out into the world. They don't even really understand that they are downtrodden. That's why if you will go back and understand that verse 35 is tied to both the miracles of last week and also the laborers that we need this week. Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and He didn't stop there. He healed every sickness and every disease among the people. And then he looked and he said, these people need the same thing I've been doing. There's not enough of us here to get to all of them. I need laborers. I don't need more harvest. I've got plenty of harvest that we can go to. But what I need is laborers. And what I need is laborers specifically that can go out into the harvest. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them 
power. If you will keep reading on over into chapter 10, and it's all one big long uh, writing. It's not separated. It's just separated for our convenience. He's saying, I need laborers for the harvest. And he called to himself the twelve. And he gave them power to go out against unclean spirits, to cast them out. The same word is used there as those that are cast out and downtrodden by the world that don't know what they need to do to fill their needs. He cast them, he told them, go cast out the unclean spirits to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. You see, what we need is not laborers that work in the, the safety of the church house. I don't need more laborers to expound upon the Word, to explain the Word. My Lord, I've got enough books and enough theologians in the world that can do that ten times over, and it's not helping the people out in the streets. My degree won't help the people out in the streets. It'll help me help you on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, but it's not helping the harvest out in the streets. The harvest out there needs something other than a theologian. They need something under them, just a Sunday school teacher or just a music leader. What they need is someone that has the power and authority of Jesus Christ in them to go out and cast out unclean spirits. They need someone that will come to them that understands that it's the power of God that can deliver them from meth and heroin. They need someone that will go out and understands what it means to lay hands on them and see the sick recover. They need to know that the power of God still rests in the hands of his children and the laborers can set them free. But the problem is is that's not how we see labor. What we see labor as today is doing the hot dog sale. We got to have that for finances. That's not labor. That's doing what God's called you to do and anointed you to do. We see it as teaching Sunday school. That's not setting the drug addict free. That's not healing someone that has a broke leg. That's not healing someone and seeing cancer fall away. God didn't tell us to do these things to reach the harvest. He said that we need to go out as laborers, casting out unclean spirits and healing people. He's called you to be a laborer in the same vein as Him. Yet what we do is we go out, we go out without compassion, we go out without the power of the Holy Ghost, we go out without the love, we go out and we tiptoe through the tulips and we try not to offend the world so that we can fill the church up on Sunday mornings. But what we would do is if we would go out in the power of the Holy Ghost and people would not have to go to a doctor anymore other than to say, I don't understand what happened. I looked on this CT scan last week and there was cancer all over your kidneys. But this week I don't understand what it is. If they had someone in the power of the Holy Ghost lay hands on them that week, they'll go to that church on Sunday morning. If they're addicted to meth and heroin and they've been through every program they can go to, they've went and lived in a home for six, eight, ten months. They couldn't get free and when they come out they get right back on the same thing. 
And all of a sudden, some little Holy Ghost-filled lady walks up to them and lays hands on them, and stuff starts pouring out of their bodies so they, their addiction is broke, so that they no longer have any desire for it. They'll come to church. They won't come to church because they want to hear someone preach or because they want to hear someone sing or because they want to hear a teacher. But if that little Holy Ghost-filled lady will lay her hands on them and see the drugs pour out of their body and set them free under the power of God, they will come to church. But we're lacking. We're lacking power. Why? Because you think it's my job to lay hands on them. Right, it's my job to preach the word. Don't get me wrong, I won't shy away from whatever it is. Because I believe I need to be able to lay hands on you just the same as you need to be able to lay hands on someone else. And to be honest, we're also lacking love. Real, authentic love. You see, we think of love as this emotion, this feeling. It's nonsense. You can get emotional about a pizza and you love it. You can get emotional about a car and love it. But the problem is, the first time you go back to that pizza joint and it ain't up to your expectations, you're no longer committed to it and you go somewhere else. When your car breaks down and it's too much to repair, you're no longer committed to it and you go somewhere else. Love is commitment. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Why do I say we're lacking love? Jesus Christ gave the commandment that we are to love one another as He loved us. He looked out and He had compassion on the crowds because they were sick, because they were diseased, because they didn't know what to do, because they didn't know how to fix their life. And He had compassion on them, and He did not commission the apostles just to go run their mouth. He commissioned them to go forth in the power of the Holy Ghost, and that is the laborers that we need because if we really have true authentic love in our hearts we will want to see people set free and following Jesus Christ so they don't have to die and go to hell for an eternity and when we don't care one way or the other if they die and go to hell or not we have no compassion and no love And the sad thing is, is we've got exactly what the world needs. You can go out and you can give them everything in the world, but if you don't give them something different than the world, they have no reason to follow. We've got the one thing that the world cannot offer. The world can't give it and the world can't take it away. We've got the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost. And until we learn that being a laborer means walking forth in both of those, we will never succeed. And He expects every one of you in here, if you follow Jesus Christ, to be a laborer. Let me go down to Matthew 10, 7 and 8, and I'm going to close here. Try to. After He had commissioned the apostles and He lists them off, says, as you go, preach. Preach. 
saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. This is a command. This isn't a question. Jesus is not looking at them saying, well, will you? I'm not looking at you this morning and telling you, well, will you? I'm looking at you this morning to a person and I'm telling you, Jesus Christ has commanded you to do these things. Just as he commanded the apostles because they needed more, not harvest, but more laborers. I'm telling you today that we will never do anything for the kingdom of God unless we go forth as a laborer. Because we need more. We can't reach all of Chapmanville and Pecksmill and Logan with this church. We need every church in this area to step up and do the same thing. We don't have time or people. Heal the sick. That's a charge to you this morning. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you need to go heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. My Lord, how long has it been since we've seen someone walk up out of a casket? I don't know that I've ever seen it. I have seen them clinically dead on a bed in a hospital. I'd love to see one just get up out of the casket. Boy, you're talking about shaking the town up. Freely you have received. Who in here had to pay to get the power of the Holy Ghost in you? Who in here had to pay to get the power of the Holy Ghost? Don't see any hands. Freely you have received, freely you need to give. You have to give them something the world cannot offer. The world cannot heal. Because healing is holistic and it affects your mind, your body, and your soul. They can patch you up, but they can't heal you. They can wreck another part of your body to take care of one thing, but they can't heal you. You get cancer, they'll put you on chemo, and that'll tear your body all to pieces. And it might take care of the cancer, but then something else is wrong. You have no immune system. You can't fight off a common cold. But if you go to the Lord, and He heals you of cancer, your immune system's still intact. You might break your leg slick in two, and I've seen it, and I know what the doctor can do. They can go in, they can drill holes, and they can get out rods and plates and screws, and you'll be able to walk almost like nothing ever happened. But when they look on an x-ray 20 years later, they will see that metal in your body. And they will see scars and buildup of tissue on your joint where it has come back together, where there shouldn't be a joint. In other words, they can patch you up, but if God touches it, there's no bars, there are no screws, there's no metal plates, there's no buildup of tissue later on. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Here's my challenge this morning. Jesus looked at the twelve. Jesus. You know, God the Son, omnipotent. In other words, all-powerful. Omnipresent, He's everywhere. Omniscient, He's all-knowing. And He said, we need more. I've got to commission you twelve to go. And this is what I need you to do. 
He prayed in John 17 even for those so far off to do, be able to do the same things the disciples did. He said in his word that these same things that I have done, ye can do and even greater things. My challenge to you this morning is exactly that. Jesus looked and said, we need more. You need to go. My challenge to you this morning is we need more. You need to go. We need more. You need to go. We need more. And you may not have confidence. You may not think you have the ability. It ain't your confidence. It ain't your ability. It ain't your touch. It ain't anything in you that's going to get it done but the power of the Holy Ghost. So my challenge and my call this morning to prayer is this. Obviously, first and foremost, if you have not submitted to Christ, you need to do so. Because without submitting your life to Christ... I mean really submitting. I mean coming to a mourner's bench and pouring your heart out and really being sorry for what you put God through yesterday with your actions. You can't expect heaven. I'll just be tactful and say that. To everybody else, I want you to come and pray. I want you to pray that God would fill you with fire that you cannot contain. That you would have the confidence that you need to walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. That you would have the confidence you need to walk forward in what He has called you to do in His expectations for you as a laborer. The altars are open.